And I'm going to pray. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness and your love to us. Lord, we are very grateful and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us life and breath and everything else. That, Lord, you give us another day to live. You give us all the air that we need to breathe. You feed us with good things. You care for us. Lord, you even hold our very life in the palm of your hands. We thank you. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather this day. And, uh, Lord, celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus. We praise you. We honor you. We bless you. Lord, that you would leave the glory of heaven and come to earth to become a man. To live a perfect life in our place. And to die death in our place. We thank you. We praise you, God. We glorify you and we celebrate your goodness to us this day. I pray, Lord, that you would be exalted in our hearts and minds as we consider your holy word. As we worship you this morning in song and Lord, as we just draw near to you to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. We thank you for all of your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that as we look at this uh, lesson from scripture, that you would give us divine revelation, give us supernatural understanding, encourage us in our faith, O God. And I pray, Lord, this prayer for each and every one of us. More love to Thee, O Christ. More love to Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Does anybody have any questions of anything we've covered so far? Anything burning on your heart? Anything I might have said last week that you want me to clarify? Okay. All right, with that, then we'll, we'll move on. And, uh, of course, this, this whole year, since September, we've been talking about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we've looked at many, many different aspects of Jesus, who he is, what his purposes are. And last week, we kind of culminated all of that teaching um, in a lesson on the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so what we were saying is is that Jesus is the most important thing. That he himself is what who the Bible calls Lord of all. That Jesus is the Lord. That he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. And uh, that, uh, if you will, we talked about the fact that uh, he was Lord not just over men, but even over angels and all heavenly beings. And that Jesus, uh, the scripture says, is highly exalted, far above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that can be named. And so that he is supreme in his authority. And uh, <clears throat> But there's more to it than just that. He's not just the Lord. He's not just the one who has all the authority. He is far more than that. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is actually the very creator of everything that exists. 
the scripture says, and we, we looked at these scriptures in, for instance, in Colossians chapter 1, where it says that he's the image of the invisible God, and that by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. So the scripture very clearly says that Jesus is the very creator of everything that exists. This in and of itself makes him the most important being or thing that there is. Because every other thing that exists, exists because he made it. He fashioned it with his hands. Every other thing that exists, exists because he is the source of it. And the scripture says that not only was everything created by him, but that everything was created for him. And if you will, it's for the good pleasure of his will that you are alive. It is for the good pleasure of God's will that you exist, that you have your being. In fact, the scripture even says that in him we live and move and have our being. That he's the one that holds our very life together. Because... Not only is he the creator of everything, he's also the sustainer of everything that exists. And so the scripture says that he is the Lord of providence, that he is providentially governing and directing the events and the affairs of the world that he created. And if you will, <clears throat> it says that, um, that he actually holds everything together. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and that He upholds all things by the word of His power. That Jesus, by His powerful word, holds everything together. That He's the one that sustains the, the universe that He created. And again, that is another fact of which makes him the most important thing or the most important being that exists. Christ is supreme. He's supreme. Regardless of whether or not people esteem him to be supreme or not, he is supreme. The only reason that men take another breath is because Christ in his infinite mercy grants them another breath to breathe. That is the Jesus of Scripture. That is the Jesus of the Bible. The Bible presents Christ as, as not only the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, but he possesses that authority because he's the very creator of everything that exists, and he is the sustainer of everything that exists. The only reason you have life is because Christ Jesus personally gives you life. That is the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? He's not just some religious icon for us to place on our shelf with the rest of the things we place on our shelf. Amen? He is supreme. He's the great king. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's the very creator of everything that is. And so if that's who he is, then that is who we ought to regard him as. Amen? If Jesus Christ is truly supreme, then we ought to regard him as supreme. Amen? Well, 
the scripture paints this picture uh, of, of a God who has created a world with an expected end. He didn't just make a globe and put some people on it and spin it out there and just kind of leave the, the, uh, the, the dice to where they fall. No, in fact, he created the world with an express purpose, a purpose which he's made crystal clear in the Bible. And, and that he is even now providentially bringing the world to that expected end for which he created it. Remember, all things were created by him and for him. They were created for him. They were created for his purposes. And if you will, that passage in Colossians chapter 1, let's turn there real quick. If you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I just, I want to point this out to you. You know, Paul in this, this letter, he's writing to the Colossians to refute a heresy. And he's talking to the Colossians and, and he's telling them about who the real Jesus is. Because you see, false teachers had crept into the church there and, and were teaching false doctrines there about the character and the nature of Christ. And, and so Paul writes to instruct the Colossians as to who Jesus really is. And so starting in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, or the preeminent one of all creation. He says, for by him, verse 16, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And look at this amazing statement at the end of verse 18. It says, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now, why is it that Jesus created all things by him and for him? And why is he the head of the church? And why does he hold all things together? And why is he before all things? Here's the answer. So that he may come to have first place in everything. That's the reason. So that he may be regarded by his creation as having first place, as being preeminent, as being supreme. What, what is the purpose of your life? Let me tell you. It's right here in Colossians 1.18. That Christ might have first place in your life. Why? Because Christ has first place. Are you with me? And if you don't regard Him as having first place, then you have a corrupted value system. Are you with me? If you don't see what is truly preeminent and regarded as preeminent, then you're deceived. Then you don't see things as they really are. Are you with me? Which brings us to this whole matter of worship. It brings us to this whole matter of loving God and loving Christ. And, and uh, so here's this thing, family. I mean, for us to acknowledge that, that Jesus 
has first place. I mean, we can read the Bible. The Bible is really clear about this. Jesus is supreme. We can acknowledge that fact. But if we don't truly regard that fact in our hearts as real, we are deceiving ourselves. There's another step. We have to take another step beyond the step of knowing that Jesus is supreme. Okay? We have to regard him in our hearts and in our minds as supreme. Or, if you will, we have to worship him. We have to ascribe worth to him. Our value system has to be aligned with what is truly valuable. Are you with me? And that, if you will, is the difference between the demons and the believers. Because you see, even the demons believe. Right? But what are they lacking? What are they lacking? Right? The scripture there in James 2 is talking about, you know, uh, uh, faith without works is a dead faith. Right? And it's, and it's, it's saying... You know, if a man has faith, but he has no works to prove it, can such a faith save him? Of course, the obvious answer is no. And so there is a kind of faith that doesn't save. It's, it's not saving faith, right? It's a kind of faith that acknowledges what is true and righteous, right? But it's a kind of faith that doesn't have the substance in itself to prove that what it acknowledges is real. Are you with me? So he says there in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe, it says, and shudder. Right? So the demons know who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus shows up on the shore there of uh, of uh, Gadara, and there's this demon-possessed man, right? And the demon-possessed man cries out, and he says, uh, <clears throat> what, what, are you, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? I know you're the Holy One of God, right? Have you come to torment us before the final day? Right? That demon knew who Jesus was, but he's still a demon, right? Why is he a demon? Because he has not properly regarded Christ as supreme. Therefore he was cast out of heaven. Amen? Okay. So this idea then of regarding Christ as supreme is extremely important. It's just as important as knowing that Christ is supreme. Are you with me? It's this next step that we have to take. We have to do something with that knowledge that's in our head. It has to come to live in our heart. Amen? Okay, so then, that brings us to the topic of our lesson today, which is learning to love Christ supremely. So then, if Christ is supreme, if, if He is what is in fact supreme, if He is what is in fact, if He is the sovereign, if he's the one that possesses all authority, then how ought we to regard him? We ought to regard him as the one who has all authority. Amen? So when he gives commandments, we, we ought to obey. Right? When, when we see that he's the one that possesses all wisdom and all knowledge, right? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? 
Colossians chapter 2. If, if, if we see that he has that, then don't you think that it would benefit us if we would begin to love those things and approve those things which he loves and approves? And to hate those things which he hates? I mean, if he truly knows, if he's truly wise, and he knows what ought to be approved and what ought not to be approved, then should we not let his value system change our value system so that we see things with the wisdom that Christ has? Amen? Are you with me? And so this is what it means, family, to love Christ. This is what it means to love Christ. It means to truly regard him in your heart as who he really is. Are you with me? And and that can only produce in us a transcendent love. A, a love that excels all other loves. When we see him for who he really is. Because he is altogether lovely. And of course that means he is the supreme object of love he's the he's the place where love properly belongs ascribed to are you with me so let's talk about that let's talk about that first let's look at this fact that that jesus is supremely valuable okay so i want to use this word a lot valuable and 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 i think it's a good word for us today i mean in this day in this 21st century, the word value is good for us here in America because we use that word all the time. We, we use that word. Even in, like in politics and in public life, they talk about values. And, and many times the whole idea is misrepresented. But I want to help you get a handle on that this morning by considering Christ and considering value. And I want you to think about this. And, and we'll talk about this. But... What I'm saying here is that Jesus is supreme, and he is also supremely valuable. So there isn't anything, here's what I'm saying, there isn't anything that's more valuable than Jesus. Okay? And, and you know that. You know that to be factual and true. That is, of course, if you acknowledge him to be who the Bible says he is. He's the creator of everything that exists. He's the sustainer of everything that exists. He possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, right? And he's the very Lord of history itself. And so <clears throat> if you believe those things to be true, then you also reasonably, by deduction, know that he is most valuable. Yep. Amen? Jesus is supremely valuable. As we have stated above, Jesus Christ is supreme in all things. He is the Lord over the entire creation, being not only the creator himself, but also the sustainer of everything in existence. For instance, Acts 17.24 makes this statement. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Okay? So think about this statement in regard to the supremacy of Christ and the supremacy of his value. Listen, he is the God who made the world and all things in it, He's the Lord of heaven and earth, 
And he's not served by any creature. Why? Because he himself gives to all creatures life and breath and all things. He's the source of creation. He is therefore then the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's how the scripture describes him. He is, if you will, in a theological term, this verse is describing the self-existence of God. He exists by himself. He doesn't need anything to sustain him. On the contrary, he sustains everything else that exists. God made the whole world out of nothing. (laughs) He he made all the planets and the universe and, and the entire creation out of nothing. God exists by himself. He's eternally self-existent. He has always existed. As There is no time to measure how long God has existed because there never was a time which he did not exist in infinite power and majesty and glory. And, and there came a point when he decided to create time and to create a world and worlds <laughs> And people and places and mountains and valleys and trees and skies and heavens and planets. And all of that stuff was made by him and for him. He's self-existent. He's the Lord of everything. He gives to all life and breath and all things. He is the very Lord of history. Directing all things to fulfill the purposes for which he made them. Everything was made by God and for him. And therefore exists for his own purposes, pleasure, and satisfaction. And this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 16.4. It says, The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. You see, the Bible says God made everything for its own purpose. Think about that. Every single thing that exists has a purpose for which God made it. How much more human life? How much more then should your life have meaning and purpose? Amen? The meaning and the purpose for which God intended it. Amen? Okay then. So, if you know these things to be true, then you must acknowledge that Christ is supremely valuable. Reason demands that. If he's the creator and the source of everything that exists, then he's infinitely more valuable than everything he created. Does not reason therefore demand that we understand Jesus Christ to be the most valuable being in existence. If he is the source of all other things, then he is infinitely more valuable than everything he created. Reason demands that, family. Reason demands that. Reason demands that if Jesus creates a mountain and he made that mountain for the purpose for which he made it, right? It demands that he is more valuable than that mountain. Why? Because he's the one that ascribed value to that mountain. Why? Because he said, mountain, uh, oh, I can't. How do I say that? 
Oh, I'm trying. I'm thinking of Genesis one, and he he says, uh, you know, let there be mountains and valleys and hills and trees and birds and bees, right? And uh, when he said that, uh, they were. He calls those things that are not as though they were. Amen. And so he creates a mountain. And he says, here you shall sit, right? And here is the sea. And here's the boundary for the sea. And, and if you will, he created and ascribed the purpose for which those things exist. He gave them their value in the order of his creation. Amen? And, and I mean, we can see this, right? We can just look at living things and we can see living things that have more value than other living things. Right? Like we don't we don't uh, we don't ascribe much value to microorganisms, do we? I mean, we didn't even know they existed for the first six thousand years of our existence. It's only been in the last couple of hundred years that we even know that microorganisms even exist. Things like germs, you know, viruses. viruses. Now we don't ascribe much value to those, do we? No. Why not? Well, because they're not truly valuable. Right? How about the grass that's growing in your front yard? Well, you don't ascribe much value to that. I know that. How come? Because you walk on it. Right? And when you can't pay the water bill, you don't water it. And guess what happens? It dies. Right? And you get out there every week with your lawnmower and you give it a haircut. You with me? Well, that's because grass doesn't have a lot of value in that sense. It does have value. Right? But it doesn't have near the value, for instance, of, of an animal. I mean, does not reason to man that an animal, an animal, a mammal, animal, or a, a reptile, or something like that, has more value than the grass? Well, to some degree. Right? What I'm saying is, things in God's creation have a logical order of value. Yeah. Right? And, and those things, they don't have nearly as much value as a person. Why, why do we value human life? Because human life is much more valuable than other things. That's plain for us to see. Okay, So there's this logical order of value in God's creation. And, and there is what is truly valuable, and there is with that which is less valuable, and that which is even, if you will, worthless. Okay, Or doesn't have any value, or has negative value. Okay, And that's what the Bible describes as evil. Okay, but if you will, what the point that I'm making is Jesus Christ, if he's the creator of everything, is more supremely valuable than everything else that exists. He is that which is supremely valuable. Okay. Um, So then if Christ created the mountains and the valleys, are they of greater worth than he? If he made the most majestic and beautiful and powerful angels in heaven, are they more beautiful than him? I mean, if he gave the angels their beauty, what does that say about his own beauty? Are you with me? If he can imagine it and create it, what beauty must he possess in and of himself? Are you with me? Well... If he made man and woman uh, the, the very pinnacles of his creative acts and endowed them with splendor and beauty, intelligence and emotions and creative minds, are they more splendid or beautiful, more joyful and wise than the one who spoke them into existence? Yeah. 
No, they're not. No, Christ is infinitely more intelligent than humans. Christ is infinitely more joyful than we are. Christ is infinitely more wise than we are. Christ is infinitely more valuable than we are. That only stands to reason. It's very reasonable. That's something we can grasp, I think, even naturally. Okay? Of course, it's difficult for the natural man to even understand Christ. Okay? But the fact of the matter is, if he created us and he's the source of us, then he's more valuable than we are. Okay. So then, of course, the obvious answer to all these questions is by all means, no. None of these things are more valuable than Christ. Nothing is more beautiful than him. Nothing is more wise than him. Nothing is more loving than him. Nothing is more powerful than him. Why? Because he's supreme in all those things. He's supreme in power. He's supreme in knowledge. He's supreme in beauty. He's supreme in wisdom. He's supreme in justice. Are you with me? He's infinitely valuable. He's the most valuable thing that there is. Trust me, we're going somewhere with this. In the scripture, the psalmist wonders how God can be so gracious to mankind as to endow him with such gifts and sees God the creator as infinitely higher and exalted above mankind the creature. For instance, there in Psalm 8, verse 3, it says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, you know, this is how he sees God. When I consider the heavens, you know, he's thinking about the sky and the stars and the planets. Right? And he says, these are the work of your fingers, God. You see, right there, that statement, God is infinitely exalted above his heavens, above his stars, above his sky, above his clouds. Those are just the work of his fingers. Amen? He says, when I consider the, the, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou dost take thought of him. What is this little tiny creature that's walking around on the planet? What are we, God? If, if you made us and we're just the work of your fingers, <laughs> then what are we? What's he talking about? He's talking about value. What are we? What worth have we? If we are these minuscule little things in the sight of an almighty God, You see that? And the Son of Man, he says, that thou dost care for him. And he's marveling at the fact that God, the infinite God who makes all this stuff with his fingers, cares. He cares for us. Yet thou hast made him, that is man, a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. And here the psalmist is amazed that God made us in his image. And that we have these communicable attributes that God has. That there is a way about us which is like God in a sense. Right? That here he says that that we've been created with glory and majesty. Right? I can imagine uh, David the psalmist here sitting on his throne and possessing the majesty of his own kingdom. And considering how small and minuscule that is when he considers the work of the fingers of God, the great king. And he says, Lord, that you would take thought of me and crown me with majesty. You see, 
even a great king recognizes in the sight of God the creator that he has infinite value, infinitely above his own. Amen? Okay. Well, the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is infinitely more valuable than everything he has created. I want to repeat that, and I want that to sink in for you. I think it's really important for your life. The fact is, listen, I'm not talking about belief here. I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about uh, some kind of imaginative thing that men have been walking around imagining for years and years and years. I'm talking about facts. I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about ultimate certainties here. Okay? The fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is infinitely more valuable than everything he has created. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus Christ is the creator of everything that exists. And he is in fact and certainly and truthfully the Lord of heaven and earth, the supreme being of all beings and infinitely more valuable than everything else. That's the facts. Whether I choose to acknowledge that or not is my problem. But it doesn't change the fact that that's who he is in reality. Are you with me? That's why when we start talking to postmoderns about absolute truth, their head goes spinning around in circles. They can't grasp it. They can't grasp that there is truth. The, the concept of truth scares them to death. Right? We'll talk about that at length here in the coming months. But the point is just that what, what I'm saying is, is that Jesus Christ is in fact the creator. He is in fact God and he is in fact more supremely valuable than everything else. Okay? Now, that has tremendous ramifications upon your value system. Let me bring that home a little bit. That has tremendous ramifications on how you treat your spouse and how you care for your family and how you love your neighbor. Are you with me? That thing hits you right where the rubber meets the road every day of your life. That has tremendous ramifications on how you submit to the authority of your boss at work. Has tremendous ramifications on how you properly revere authority in the culture. Every kind of authority that has been established by God, by the way. Are you with me? The, the, the way that you value things and what you consider to be most valuable is in fact who you are and how you live your life. Now I'm going to show you that. okay? And not only that, I'm saying you already all know that. You already all know that. We all know that. This is a virtue that has been endowed to us by God naturally. And it's affected by many things that are within us, for instance, like conscience. Right? But our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our intellect, our will, all function around this idea of our value system. What we properly value. Or what we value, period. Whether it's proper or improper. We're going to do what we think is right. Right? Or we're going to do whatever we want to do just because we want to do it. Are you with me? That's because maybe we don't value things properly. Are you with me? Okay, so 
The fact of the matter is, what is most valuable? Once you think about that, what is most valuable? And I'm telling you, what is most valuable is Jesus Christ. He's the most valuable thing or being that is in existence. Okay? When we see the creature, that is the moon and the stars, right? Or mankind, or the grass, or the hills, or the mountains, or the birds, or the bees, or the trees, or whatever we we see, the creature, right? When we see the creature, we should see in it just a glimmer of the infinite majesty of the one who created it. So when you open your eyes and behold, you see the mountains, what should you see there? When you look at the mountain, you think, good night, look at that mountain. I remember when I went to Alaska. I went to Alaska one time. It was amazing. But uh, the thing that shocked me was I got in the car and we started driving down the road. I can't tell you, this, this just struck me. We're driving down the road and the mountains were so massive. It blew my mind. I told, I told Jerry, stop the car. Stop the car. <laughs> Driving down this place in Alaska right outside of Anchorage called the Turnigan Arm. And it just goes up the side of the Cook Inlet. On both sides of the, of the, of the inlet are these mountains. They're huge. They struck me to the deepest part of my soul. I could not believe the majesty of these mountains. I got out and I looked at these mountains. I thought, my God, there is a God in heaven. Are you with me? This is what I'm saying. When we look at the creature, we should just see a glimmer of the majesty of God who created it and fashioned it just so you could look at it and see it and glorify him and say, my God, if these mountains are like this, What must you be like? What must your throne be like in heaven with powerful angels, infinitely more greater and powerful than everything he's made? Are you with me? This is what I'm saying. You know, what do we value? What do we value? When we look around and we see things, how do we make assessments about our life? How do we make assessments about the world we live in? Why we're here? What our purpose is? Okay, and I'm saying it all has to be valued according to that which is truly valuable. Are you with me? So when we look at the the creation, we should just see a glimmer of the majesty of God who created it. The earth and the heavens and all their glorious beauty only show us a small portion of the infinite beauty of Christ, their creator. When we look at mankind and we see the virtues that are in us, Lovely things which are valuable like kindness and patience and gentleness and joy and peace. And, and we see those things in us. Those are virtues, okay? And they're valuable. But in them we only see a dim reflection of the infinite virtue of Jesus Christ, the very source of all virtue and goodness in the creation. When we look around and we see good people and we say, man, these, those are good people. I love those people. Man, they're just good. You know what's going on there? You're seeing a little tiny glimpse of the goodness of God. And you're praising it. You're saying, I love that goodness in those people. Are you with me? You ever met people like that? I have. I have a whole family of them. <laughs> they're just glorious. The joy of the whole earth are the saints. Amen? Amen. 
But the point is just that in, in that goodness that you see in them, that virtue that you see in them, that's just a little glimmer of the virtue and the goodness that is in God. He's the source of it. You with me? Okay, so then, in Jesus is the fullness of every grace and goodness and virtue. He is altogether lovely. He is glorious in his perfections. He is so glorious and perfect that when you, when you get a glimpse of God physically with your eye, you know what you see? The Bible says, unapproachable light. It's just glory that just shines from the being of God. Why? Because he's so infinitely perfect and glorious that it just emanates a beautiful light that just the eye can't even take it in. It's so profound. Amen? That's what the being of God is like. He's all glorious. He's altogether lovely. What do we mean? He's the one where our love ought to go. He's, of all things that could be worthy of love, he's the pinnacle. Amen? He is infinitely wise and powerful and loving and righteous. That's who he is. That's who Christ's being is, those things, supremely, infinitely. He is supremely valuable. And family, this is why the greatest commandment in Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's what Jesus says about that. Look there on your handout, Matthew 22:38. This is what he says. He says, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. He says, you know, they come to Jesus, these Pharisees, they come to Jesus, they say, you know, Lord, what's the greatest commandment in all the law, right? Jesus, without hesitation, right? Greatest commandment in all the law, right? 640 some commandments. Greatest one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, he says. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. Of all the things God ever commanded us to do, the greatest one is to love Him. Why? Because He's lovely. He is the thing which is worthy of love. You with me? So what what should He tell the creature to do? What, What will be the right thing for the creature to do? Love God. Because when, when your value system is focused on that which is infinitely valuable, it is going to change you. You with me? Which is what God's concerned with. He's concerned with virtue. He's concerned with goodness and righteousness and justness and holiness and love and kindness and power and authority. He's concerned with all those things. Right? Because those things are what defines his nature. His perfections are all of those things. So the reason why he's commanding us to love that is so that we will take on those characteristics. Amen? You with me? Because they're valuable. They are to be valued. Are you with me? Okay, well, this loving of our Lord is expressed briefly by the great Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks. And here's what he says. 
He says, there is not only fullness, but an overflowing of fullness in Jesus Christ. All wisdom, all knowledge, all light, all life, all love, all goodness, all sweetness, all blessedness, all joys, all delights, all pleasures, all beauties, all beatitudes, all excellencies, all glories are in Christ. The true lovers of Christ know that Christ loves as a head, as a king, as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a kinsman, as a friend. The love of all relations meets in the love of Christ, and this raises up a believer to love Christ with a transcendent love. They know that Christ loves them more than they love themselves. Yea, that he loves them above his very life. And magnus amoris amor. Love is the magnet of love. You hear what he's saying? He's saying Jesus loves like no other love. And he says that love is a magnet to love. That that love draws to itself love. Okay? Christ is amiable and lovely. He is famous and conspicuous. He is spotless and matchless in his names, in his natures, in his offices, in his graces, in his gifts, in his revelations, in his appearances, in his ordinances. He is full of gravity, majesty, mercy, and glory. He is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His mouth is sweetness, yea, all of him is desires, or all of him is delights. Christ is wholly delectable. He is altogether desirable from top to toe. He is amiable and lovely. He is glorious and excellent. Christ is lovely. Christ is very lovely. Christ is most lovely. Christ is always lovely. Christ is altogether lovely. He is the express image of God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. If the soul can but discover Him, it shall find in Him all high perfections and supereminent excellencies. And upon these and such like considerations, the saints are led forth to love Jesus Christ with a most transcendent love. Now family, those are amazing words. And the poor man, (laughs) I feel his burden. He's trying to describe the the beauty of Christ. And words just delude him. I mean, words just don't do it justice. Are you with me? And if you know Christ, you know this to be true. You know that he's altogether lovely. Now, if these things be true, that is, in fact, real, and they are, then our value system, the principles by which we value things, must come into conformity with what is truly valuable. Therefore, if our affections are to be properly placed, they must be placed upon him. Are you with me? Now here's what I'm trying to say, and I think this is life-changing, if you can grasp this. And he spoke of it here. He said, if the soul can but discover him, that is Christ, if the soul can discover Christ, 
<laughs> right? It shall find in him all high perfections and super eminent excellencies. <laughs> We're satisfied with so little. Worthless things occupy our affections. When all the while to be had is Christ. Therefore, Jesus must be supreme in our affections. So hear, hear what I'm saying. If Jesus is the most valuable thing, then what should we value? Way down deep inside our heart, what should we value? What is truly valuable? You know? I, I was trying to uh, explain this to a friend recently, and uh, I had a bad example, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you anyway. <laughs> because I, it made the point really well, I think. If I had in one hand some nuggets of gold, and then the other hand some dog poop, and I said, which one is more valuable? the answer would be rather obvious, would it not? Right? And can you imagine what a wretch I would be if I preferred to have the poop over the gold? And if my affections were placed on that which was utterly worthless, (laughs) how I would be selling myself so short? Are you with me? That's the very principle that we do when we don't regard Christ as infinitely valuable. We value that which is worthless over that which is infinitely valuable. Are you with me? Of course, that's a graphic example that I use there, but let me tell you, it's not nearly as graphic as what we really do in our lives. When we value sin instead of Christ. We value death and destruction over the very prince of life. Right? You want to know why there's so many problems in the world? Let me tell you why. People in the world don't value Christ. That's why. Their value system is all screwed up. That's what happened in the garden. When the tempter came along and said, see that fruit? Isn't it pleasing to the eye? And what did Adam and Eve do there? They valued a piece of fruit more than the God that created the heavens and the earth. We've been in trouble ever since. (laughs) You know what kind of trouble we've been in? We've been valuing earthly things more than the one who is infinitely valuable and created it all. That's the trouble that we're in. That's the problem. It's a problem with our value system. It's a problem with what we consider to be worthy. It's a problem with what we consider to be lovely. It's a problem with what we like, what we treasure, what we honor, what we adore. Therefore, Jesus, if he is infinitely valuable, must be supreme in our affections. Think about it. What do you love? What do you love? What do you treasure or 
Of what can it be said about you that you long for and desire it above all other things in your life? Whatever that thing may be, it can be said that this is what you worship. Okay, now I want to help you understand what worship is. Okay, hear me out. Whatever thing you valuable, whatever thing you value, more than any other thing, that's what you worship. That is because the word worship originates from the idea of ascribing worth or value to something. The origin of the word worship is two words, worth-ship, right? It's kind of like discipleship. What do we do in discipleship? Well, it's the state of making disciples and being disciples, right? Well, the same with worship. It's, it's, it's uh, the state of what we give worth to, worth-ship, what we ascribe worth to. What, what we say, what we regard in our heart is worthy. That's what we worship. Okay? We worship those things. So then, that which you worship is that which you value or ascribe worth to. That which you treasure or adore. That which get, has your adoration. What do you treasure? That's what you worship. That's what you ascribe worth to. What's the most important thing to you? What inside your heart is the thing that you long for, that you always think about? What is it that, that possesses your affections? That's what you worship. That's what you treasure. Uh, it is that which you revere or honor, that which you venerate or idolize. It is that which you glorify or consider to be highly valuable. What do you consider to be highly valuable? That thing which occupies all your affections. That's the most valuable thing to you. What is it? Think about it. Think about your life right now. What is the most highly valuable thing to you? I'm telling you, that's what you worship. And you know what the first commandment is, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am the Lord. You see, the great commandments, the foremost commandments, they all have to do with our relationship with God. Because He's first. He has what? First place in everything. He's the preeminent one. Why? Because He is preeminent. He is most valuable. He, what God says, look, don't value anything else in all your life above me. Why? Because I'm the most valuable thing. That's what He's saying. And if you want to, if you want to have wisdom and see all other things in life in their proper place, then you've got to see that which is truly valuable. And in contrast to what is truly valuable, you have what is truly worthless. And that's how you make assessments in your life. And that's what wisdom is all about, family. Are you with me? That's why we make bad decisions. We make bad decisions because we don't have any wisdom. Or should I say, we use poor judgment concerning wisdom and knowledge when we make bad decisions. Right? How come? Because we don't properly see the value and the order of things in which God has placed them in their proper place. You with me? So we make silly, foolish decisions based on that. So, This whole idea of that which we consider highly valuable, that which we honor, that which we revere, that which we venerate, that which we treasure, that's what we worship. Whatever that thing is that possesses our affections, that's what we worship. 
Okay? Now, if Christ is supremely valuable in reality, and there is truly nothing that even comes close to being as infinitely worthy of all glory and honor, worship and adoration as Him, it only stands to reason that to fail to give Him this proper place of honor in our hearts and affections is to be sorely mistaken and self-deceived in our value system. If we don't see him for who he truly is, if we don't truly value him, if we don't truly ascribe worth to him, if we don't adore him, if we don't have our affections fixed on him, we are deceived. Because he's the one on which our affections ought to be set above all other things. Why? Because he is altogether lovely. He is supreme. He is worthy of our affections. He is the infinite, all-wise, all-glorious, beautiful, majestic, powerful God. He's the very source of our life. He's the reason why we exist. He's the reason why everything exists. He's infinitely valuable. Therefore, we have to value Him above everything else. This is the whole problem with the world. (laughs) Isn't it evident to you? That what I'm saying isn't the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your heart right now of this truth that God is infinitely valuable and when we don't value Him infinitely, we sin greatly and that this is the very root and nature of all sin. That God is not properly valued. Are you with me? Well... It's because he is the one who is worthy of all glory and honor. The scripture says this, Revelation 4.11, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. You know, how, how does the Holy Spirit reason with us here? When he says, worthy is God to receive all glory and honor and power. And, and why? Why is God worthy? Because at thy will, we exist and were created. He, the Holy Spirit reasons with us that because God is the creator, he's worthy of all glory and honor and power. Are you with me? In this same light, Jesus is seen in Revelation 5.12. There it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy for what? To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. See, Jesus is worthy of those things in heaven where everything is set right and in its proper place. That's where it is proclaimed and announced that Jesus is worthy of all glory and honor and blessing and riches and power. He's the heir of all things. Because he properly, it all properly belongs to him. Are you with me? And so the scripture says, every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And what does the church do? I saw the four living creatures and they kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. What did they do? They ascribed that worth. They ascribed that 
glory. They ascribe that value and that adoration to the Lamb who was slain. Because He's worthy of it. Amen? You with me? Okay. If we love something more than Christ, then we have misplaced affections. Okay? We have misplaced affections. And uh, I'm, I'm going to end there, and I'm going to take up there next, next time we get together. By the way, we do not have class next week. But <clears throat> I want you to go away thinking about this, okay? I think this is life-changing for you. You know, if you're a Christian and you've been struggling in your Christian life, which I know is every single one of you, okay? I want to tell you something that will transform your Christian life. Go away thinking about this thing. Very simple concept, okay? Jesus Christ is infinitely valuable and most worthy of value. He, he is most worthy of my adoration, my respect, my honor, my reverence. Then ask yourself this question. Is he reigning supreme in my affections? Think about that. No matter what you're facing, no matter what decision you're facing, no matter, you know, you might wake up and, the, you know, life is driving you nuts. You're just going batty. You got more problems to deal with in a day than Wrigley's has gum. I understand. Okay? You think about this principle, that Jesus Christ is what is in, uh, infinitely valuable. I promise you, your life will be transformed. It will be changed. You will no longer have days of gloom. You will have days of glory. You know why? Because you value glory. And you seek for it. And you ascribe worth to it. And you adore it. And you treasure it. And you want to have it. You want to have the glory with everything that is in you. You want to have that perfect patience and kindness and love and gentleness and joy and peace that God has. You want to have those perfections. And if you set your heart and your mind on them, you will have them. And you will become like Him. And I want to tell you, there is nothing that fills the human soul with properly placing its value where it belongs. That's why you were created. You're a creature. You were created to glorify the Creator. And the only way you can do that is to glorify Him. You with me? Family, if we could get our hands around this, I promise you, this will change your life. This is what we do. We're Christians. We worship Jesus. Are you with me? You want to know what's going on around this place? Let me tell you, there's an underground river. You come in here, you see a bunch of folks, they're all doing their thing. Let me tell you what's going on. When we gather together, we're here to worship Jesus and give Him glory. And ascribe worth to Him and adore Him and sing all together to His glory and His honor and His praise. You know why? Because we have been ransomed and snatched from the pit of hell. And our lives have been saved and now we're being changed. And now we're taking on this very glory that Christ possesses. Are you with me? That's what's going on around here. This ain't some religious political thing where people are seeking money, sex, and power. Okay, this is the church of the living God. We gather to give glory to God because He's infinitely glorious. Are you with me? It's, it's wholly unlike the world that we live in. 180 degrees. Amen? So God help us as a church to come together and give Him glory 
and worship him and ascribe worth to him. Amen? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. We gather to worship him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father, we are grateful, God, for eyes that see. For eyes that see your glory, God. And I pray, Lord, if there is an eye or an ear within the sound and the hearing of my voice, that you would give to them eyes to see and ears to hear that Christ might be our treasure. Oh Lord, only you can do this in our hearts and so I ask for everyone that is here, God, make us hunger and thirst for you like never before, God. And be glorified in us, your people. And Lord, this day we do rejoice in you. We praise you. We lift you up and exalt you. And we do, Lord, ascribe glory and honor to you. We thank you for who you are because of your glorious and holy cross, we pray. Amen.